the Lucky 10,000 Season 4 with your host, Evan. This season, badass women from history. We ride in circles, we're burned out, vigilant, searching for reason for Hey guys, this is Evan with The Lucky 10,000, just letting you know this is the next to last episode of this season. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it as much as I've enjoyed recording it, but I also wanted to make sure that I shout out the band, I forgot to do that in the initial recording of this episode, that you heard. It's Black Plague and the song is Existence. You can hear the entire song after the episode proper, and we will definitely have a link to them in the episode description. Also, one more reminder about the podcast awards. Register at podcastawards.com and vote Bearded Ones in People's Choice, Comedy, Entertainment, TV and Film, and the Lucky 10,000 in Education. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy. Hey guys, this is Evan, and welcome to the Lucky 10,000, the podcast that gets you luckier than podcasting with someone you've never podcasted with before, and we'll get to that in just a second. But first, we want to thank Stitcher and iTunes for hosting us, the Tangent Bound Network for having us, and all the other great platforms that we're on. Uh, welcome to season four. This is technically the last episode we're recording, which I'm very thankful about because that means I'm going to be able to start posting them hopefully within the next week. Uh, I don't know what order in the season this will come, but um, it's one of those sort of uh, situations where I was a little bit at a loss for what to do because I like to have a nice rounded 10 episode season, lucky 10,000, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And I knew I needed one more. And uh, the person I was going to interview with fell through, not to make my present guest feel like plan B, but um, I reached out to a couple of people that I've kind of always wanted to have on the podcast anyway and asked if they had the time and they had someone that they wanted to talk about. And the lovely, the talented guest today, Deanna Earl, just happened to have someone that she really, really wanted to talk about, took some time out of her schedule on a tight scheduled day for her. I can't thank her enough. Deanna, thank you so much for being on the show. Hi, Evan. I'm so excited to be here. This and is you, really awesome. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you're excited. And because I love talking to people who are excited about things. Yeah. And it's interesting because this season, especially when I went to people and said, who would you like to talk about? It always gives you an interesting insight into the person when they tell you, number one on my list, I want to talk about. Right. And this season, just like last season, has been a good mix of people I've heard of, but learned more about and people I've never heard of. Today's subject is someone that everyone has heard of. Mm -hmm. But if you're listening to this episode, I guarantee you, guarantee you, you will find something new and something you didn't know about this person. And that person is Judy Garland. Now, mm. before we get into Judy, uh, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about you. Because you're a musical theater person. Mm -hmm. You've done a ton yep. of theater in the area. Yeah. You have a real passion for singing. Uh, how did you get into that? Oh, it's been kind of a long process. Uh, as a kid, my parents took me to musicals just sort of growing up all over the place. Mm -hmm. We lived in um, – I grew up in Pennsylvania. So we lived – Oh, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, yeah, uh, Westchester. Uh, 
Girl uh, Westchester, uh, Pennsylvania. Old co-host Emily Grove is from yes, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, yeah. Um, in fact, uh, the girl that played Nancy in Oliver that yes, you just saw, Jamie also from Pennsylvania. Is also from Pennsylvania, yeah. Oh, but we did. We grew up in uh, Pennsylvania, so we were about 45 minutes from Philadelphia. Okay. So we went to the, uh, is it the, I think it's the Merriman Theater there in Philadelphia yes. Music <laughs> Hall. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they would do touring productions down there. Um, and it was just incredible. I remember, um, I think Music Man was the first one that I saw. And I remember just being spellbound. Yeah. You know, by the whole thing. And the funny thing was, uh, turn about years later, I ended up being in a show at Flat Rock Playhouse uh, mm. probably about five, seven years ago now. Um, and one of the girls that was in the show, she was one of the lead singers. Turns what? out she had played Marion no in way. that show that I'd seen when no I was way. like 10 or 12. Yeah. Um, and it was such a cool full I could easily moment. see you playing that part yeah oh I would love to play Mary yeah that's such a great It'll great happen. show beautiful beautiful show for me but then I was uh when I went to college I classically trained as a soprano okay but I just didn't really have the pipes to be an opera singer mm-hmm. I have much I have much more of like a Julie Andrews type mm-hmm. you know which is also another great uh musical sure. influence in my life but um I ended up uh, really just Broadway's always been my love and my mm-hmm. passion musical theater sort of my wheelhouse but I wasn't trained in that specifically right. so after I graduated I worked at North Greenville University for a little while in the music department as a administrative assistant okay. and Cheryl Green is one of their uh, voice I've teachers. heard the name mm-hmm. yeah. yeah she's incredible oh god I love her um, and she is now the head of the voice department and at the time I sort of went into her and was like hey I want to learn Broadway and whatever and she uh, listened to me sing but I had never been taught how to sing with my chest voice and I didn't okay. realize that there were two different voices which yeah. there are and so she uh, very patiently almost started over with me and she started teaching me from scratch how to sing in my chest voice as opposed to just my head voice mm-hmm. and sort of helped me cross transition between the two and now, was that I where learned, the more operatic stuff comes from operatic stuff comes from the head voice exactly yeah and then the chest voice is really singing where you speak okay. so it comes directly from that voice box right. area whereas the head voice is much more you know mm-hmm. up in the head is sort of that that ringing round yeah. heavy vibrato type sound when you're in the chest voice you can do things like pull that straight tone and take the vibrato out and things like that you have a lot more flexibility in what to do a little bit lower in that range um but anyway she uh, sort of taught me all there was to know from the beginning about that um and once i learned that and once i figured out that i literally had a whole new voice i mean mm-hmm. it was a game changer for me and i just started singing everything and anything i could get my hands on um and uh you know can you do opera now i can if i really tried uh musical theater opera style like phantom of the opera i can sing Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff no problem um you'd be great in that show oh i would love to do that too yeah yeah um the the e is only there on a good day though so we'd have to like (laughs) record that and then put that in the show But uh, yeah, I, I really just love singing kind of in any any style and any range. So after I learned how to do that, I started doing musical theater in the area. I've done several different shows, mm-hmm. uh, mostly for the children's theater at first. Mm-hmm. I did uh, 15 shows for them at about five years. Yeah, that was, was really where we great. met. Yeah, we on met that at children's theater. Second stage. Mm-hmm. Second children's stage. Theater yep. show. And then I saw um, you in Chicago. That's in right. I, and I played and Mary Sunshine, which was a, a soprano role. Mm-hmm. That was a perfect yep. part for you. That was so much fun. We had a great time with it that. It was a good production. Good show. Oh, yeah. The Spartanburg does some beautiful yeah. stuff. And then um, Jay Kaufman made uh, my life, <laughs> really, at the time, by giving me the opportunity to play Judy in 9 to 5. 
alive. Of course. And that was the first um, heavy belt role that I had ever really been really? given. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I had done some other work, um, but nothing like that. And I remember uh, I was actually late to the callback because I had come from work and then the door was locked so I couldn't get in. <laughs> and so I'm calling and trying to figure out, so please let me in, I'm outside. And he finally got a hold of me and realized I was out there and sent someone to come get me. And I came in like all huffing and puffing. Yeah. He was like, we almost closed rehearsal or uh, auditions. I'm sorry. And I was like, just let me sing, just let me sing. And I got up there and I just sang, you know, the Dickens out of it, like yeah. thinking, please cast me, just please cast me. Um, and he was a sweetheart and he did. And that was uh, definitely my favorite role to date. I mean, we just had the best time. It was such a great show, such yeah. a good cast. Yeah. I think that was the biggest thing that I learned vocally was mm. sort of how to navigate a show like that because yeah. it's a really big production yeah um and then i did get to play uh morticia in the adams yes. family at center stage which was right up there with nine to five oh, as yeah. far as me and tied for favorites yeah. um and that was just that was just fun man we, yeah. and when i asked you who you wanted to talk about you didn't even have to think about it. oh yeah no it's right to judy garland and he, like you say there's julie andrews and there's people there's there's it's almost like there's a Mount Rushmore of people that every musical theater person, especially women, right. look at. Mm -hmm. And Judy Garland and Julie Andrews are like the Washington and Lincoln. Yeah, of the you know. monument. That's I'm right. not 100 percent sure who the other two are. Maybe yeah, yeah. Shenoworth or something like yeah, that. Yeah. But they are definitely up there. Yeah. So what is it about Judy Garland? Do you remember the first time? Was it was it? Like everyone else, was it Wizard of Oz? It was Wizard of Oz for me. I, I can't lie about that. I, um, When I was a kid, I couldn't have been more than maybe seven. I honestly think I might have been five. Um, and the Wizard of Oz was – so it comes on like every Christmas, mm -hmm. you know, or yeah. Thanksgiving somewhere in there. I think uh, Mary Poppins is – Thanksgiving and yeah. Wizard of Oz is Christmas, I think is how it goes, or Sound of Music is in there somewhere too. But right. anyway, um, and I just will never forget sort of being fascinated by that, the black and white, mm -hmm. you know, this, it's really a, a sepia, it's more of a brown, mm -hmm. you know, uh, at the beginning of that. And just watching her sing, you mm -hmm. know, Over the Rainbow, I mean, her voice is just bar none. It I is mean, great. No yeah. one since has ever, you know, even been able to replicate that sound. Well, it's, it's interesting because she could sing obviously right but there are certain people that yeah they can sing and they're great and their voices are beautiful but it's much rarer you know we talked about janis joplin earlier in this season with mm -hmm. tiffany nave and i think they they both come from that place where it's not just that they can sing it's right. that when you hear their voice you know exactly who that is who that is yeah then no one else sounds like yes. judy garland before or since or since yeah and I've tried to replicate it as well, like just because sometimes you know I've you'll never do a heard concert anyone or whatever. Accurately. Oh yeah, it's. I mean, I'm I'm okay at it, but I I know I'm nothing. Yeah. you know, near what she was. There's just this weird tone she had, and you yeah. know, a lot of times singers don't talk like they sing. Right, you wouldn't know it, but mm -hmm. when she spoke, even you were it like, sounded just like. Oh, that's her, Judy yep. Garland. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah, and she just had this sort of wide sound, Very like it much. just was big well, her and mouth grassy was huge. And, yeah, it was so incredible. Just and it came from inside her. Yeah. Um, she uh, and she struggled a lot with her weight, which we can talk about in a mm -hmm. bit. But you would think she was never a fat girl. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> was she was like, a beautiful girl. Yeah, she's gorgeous. And they uh, and they gave her endless trouble about that in particular. But not traditionally but gorgeous either. That's true. Very yeah. And they talked a lot about her being more of a girl next door type mm -hmm. look, um, which ended up being a big struggle for her to sort of overcome that comment sure. uh, and that's um, 
stigma that they sort of mm-hmm. gave her stereotype i guess is the word i was looking for but yeah just the one of the her producers said at one point that it was just incredible the sound that came from mm-hmm. such a small person mm-hmm. um and i think just that and then of course there's that classic moment when she when the house lands mm-hmm. and she walks up to that door and she opens it and that music starts and that mm-hmm. color comes through and i just was fascinated yeah and i just could not get over the magic of that particular moment well and she was a so, decent actress too. oh she was a great actress, i mean she yeah. was I, I think you could look at something like the wizard of oz and go she was a little over the top in musical theater mm-hmm. but that's what that movie called called for. for right everyone was that way in that movie right and if you're if you're too big for a movie like that you can't identify with the character anymore right so she had this great balance of bigger than life but just big enough, big enough to where yeah. you still, like I could still remember as a kid being fucking terrified by the flying monkeys, monkeys. and what they oh, might yeah. do to her. That's some scary shit. It's real, yeah, is. for real, for real, yeah. But she, I think, because you, I mean, you meet magical creatures. You'd be a great um, Glinda, by the, the way. Oh, I would love to play Glinda someday. Yeah, I would love to play. So, in, so there's a movie version, of course, uh, mm-hmm. of The Wizard of Oz, but then the musical Wicked, which is mm-hmm. another one of my loves, um, came out about 15 years ago, and so then they've given you the backstory of the Wicked Witch, which I thought was beautiful. Yeah. Um, and so I would love to play Elphaba in Wicked. And I would love to play Glinda in the Wizard yeah. of Oz. And it's interesting too when you can tell a performance is iconic because any production I've ever seen or done of the Wizard of Oz, it's not like the actresses are simply mimicking Judy Garland, mm-hmm. but there's always that element of we need to kind of see a little bit of Judy of in Judy, there. And yeah. actors are always like, well, I just don't want to mimic someone else. Right. But in that case, but it's, it's so okay. Iconic. Yeah. You it's almost okay. have to give her a little bit of credit. <laughs> and ironically, I would love to play Dorothy in a production of The Wizard of Oz. I'm aware that I'm way too old at this point to do that. Well, that I mean, ship, she I'm was sure has sailed. Way older than Dorothy was but supposed goodness, to be. goodness. Yeah. She was a good, a good probably six, uh, five to six years older yeah. than Dorothy should have been anyway. But yeah, that magic of her um, in that particular moment when she opens the door, that was kind of it. Mm-hmm. And I just never lost the magic then, sort of as I followed her career and the different movies she was in. Meet Me in St. Louis, another mm-hmm. one of my favorites. I love, love, mm-hmm. love her in that movie. Um, and she made some of those, you know, Zing Zing Went My Heart, Clang Clang with the Trolley, all of those, the trolley song, all of those songs she made famous because she was the one who sang right. them and did them. Um, and she did, she went on to do them in future uh, mm-hmm. concerts and recordings and things like that as well. So it wasn't just in those movies. Um, but yeah, she just sort of set the standard. She really did. For so performers what since. can you tell me about her life? Did she come from a split home, which seems to be uh, a normal thing in theater and the arts? Yeah. Anything like that? What can you tell me? Yeah, there's always a little bit of uh, of struggle. Anyone in, in the arts has definitely been through something, which is, I think, sure. what gets us there. Um, yeah, so she was actually born Frances Ethel Gum. Okay. So she was not born Judy Garland. That was a stage name that came later. Yeah, Judy um, Gum just doesn't yeah, have Yeah, Judy Gum doesn't have the same ring. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she was born in uh, Grand Rapids, Minnesota. Okay. So she was uh, or Michigan born in uh, a Well, I think it was. I think it actually was Michigan. Uh, okay. Some places say Minnesota, and some of them say Michigan. Um, I think it might be Minnesota because it's the birthplace is a museum now. Okay. So they have okay. like a whole thing there for her. Um, but yeah, I guess I probably will check on that. We'll make sure before we before we finish. <laughs> hey, here. one of the things we love to say in this podcast: if we get something wrong, let us know. That's We're right. If we so get it wrong, we'll we'll fix it. That's right. Um, but she was uh, the youngest child of Ethel Marion. Um, and Francis Advent Gum, uh, who was she went by Frank, um, and they were uh, vaudevillians who settled in uh-huh. Grand Rapids, and they uh, tried to run a movie theater 
featuring like vaudeville type acts. Mm-hmm. So she and her two sisters were her sisters were Mary Jane Gum and Dorothy Virginia Gum. Okay. Um, and so uh, Dorothy went by Jimmy and Mary Jane went by Susie or Suzanne. Um, so the three of them actually started singing together as a group. So she started off in a trio, a family sort of, you know, family act, whatever. Um, and it wasn't until a little bit later when she learned how to tap dance. And because she did just have that big voice, you mm-hmm. know, she kind of was always the standout of the group. Was um, she kind of a natural she, to it? Did she just... She really did. Yeah. They said from a young age, she just had that voice and it just sort of boomed, you know, out of her. And there was sort of no stopping her. And once she learned how to dance... That was it. And she always just had this bright, sunshiny personality. She was always very happy as a child, they said, um, you know, and and from the things that I've read, um, the family life definitely struggled a little bit. They struggled a lot financially. They moved around a lot, things like that. Um, But uh, yeah, she did a lot of performing. um, And then their mom played for them on the piano, which was really neat, I thought. Um, They did relocate uh, to California then. Okay. um, A little bit later, um, 1926. Um, Now, she was born in 1922. Okay. So she was only four when they moved to California. They purchased another theater in Lancaster uh, and started operating there. Um, and then the mom started trying to get the daughters into into movies, into motion pictures. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of how that transition uh, went from being. Which uh, is a really ballsy thing to do. Yeah, yeah. No one knows who you are. Transition. You've done some vaudeville. Yeah. Just go out to California with your four-year-old and go, right. yeah, put her in movies. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, she'll be great. Don't worry. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but she attended Hollywood High School. She la- later graduated from University High School. Um, so she you know, went to school just like everyone else. Um, but they, uh, by 1928, the Gum Sisters uh, as a trio enrolled in a dance school. So that's where they started learning all of that. Um, and then, uh, you know, they had a um, a film debu- debut in a short subject. It was called The Big Review okay. um, in 1929. Um, and they performed a song and dance number that's called um, The Good Old Sunny South. So that was sort of their big uh, thing. They did a couple more shorts, um, The uh, Holiday in Storyland. Um, and that featured Garland's first on-screen solo, uh, nice. which was cool. And then, uh, did her sisters have much success? I not really, from what I hear. It's yeah. almost like they all did when they were younger, and then by the time they, by the time uh, Judy or Francis at the time was sort of breaking out, mm-hmm. they kind of just ended up falling away. I think from the business. I wonder I think if that the caused a family. Rift. It, I think it probably did for a little while. Yeah. yeah, and that's where some of the research is a little. Um, some of the information out there is a little. Less, yes, vague. There we go. That's the word. Um, Because everything really just focuses sort of on Judy from Mm -hmm. there on out. Um, But yeah, so they did uh, Holiday and Storyland. They did The Wedding of Jack and Jill. um, And they appeared uh, the next one together in Bubbles. uh, And their final on-screen appearance uh, was in an MGM Technicolor short uh, called La Fiesta de Santa Barbara. And that was 1935. Mm -hmm. So by 1935, they were kind of, that was the end of the sisterhood, apparently. And and Judy was really starting to come uh, into her own. Um, but because, so the name change happened when they were late, they were, um, billed as the gum sisters, Mm -hmm. but audiences would laugh at the name. They didn't really care for the name. And they were erroneously billed in a Chicago theater as the glum sisters. Oh no. So that, right. That (laughs) went very badly. So the, uh, the manager at the time, uh, encouraged the group to choose a more appealing name than gum, he said. Um, and there's a bunch of stories as to how the name Garland came about, Uh, a lot of different theories as to why that, but they did eventually settle on. Um, Judy Garland Um, and it was really just you know they had a great 
uh, success while they were together. Um, but yeah, she, uh, once the sisters sort of finished their movies and, and things as a group, um, I think once Judy broke out and she started getting cast and things, yeah. uh, it really was just sort of her. And it's it's always a tough thing. You out. see it, you see it with bands a lot too. And I never really understand. I mean, I guess I understand. We talked about this with Janis Joplin, actually, when she got really successful, the band sort of got jealous of that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you want that feeling of solidarity. But let's be honest, if and I see it on the, the music competition shows all the time mm -hmm. where like a trio will come in and somebody will go. Look, two of you are fine, but you, right? You're gonna go somewhere. You're gonna go, and somewhere, the other two yeah. get upset because the person takes that opportunity. Yeah. Like, well, what would you have done? What would you have done? Yeah. Would you have said absolutely not and right. lost a career over the fact that two other people were good, but not maybe what they were looking for? And right. that's the thing. That's the interesting thing. That's a good transition. Her. The, so the group of them. Um, so uh, Louis B. Mayer um, in 1935, right after they finished that last film, they weren't together. Um, asked songwriter Burton Lane to come down to the Orpheum Theater in Los Angeles to watch the Garland sisters to watch their vaudeville act and uh, kind of report back to him. Mm -hmm. So a few days later, Judy and her father were brought for a totally impromptu audition at the uh, Metro Golden Goldwyn Mayer Studios in Culver City. Um, and that's where uh, Judy performed Zing Went the Strings of My Heart. Mm -hmm. um, and she uh, was immediately signed to a contract to MGM from that. Was that what led to Wizard of Oz? Was that her first yes. big mm -hmm. film? That was her first. Well, and, and not quite yet, but at the time, uh, she was it said presumably without even a screen test that they hired her. Um, but then it was almost like the studio didn't know what to do with her right. because she was only 13. So she mm -hmm. was older than the traditional child star, but she was too young for adult roles right. at the time. Um, Although she so always looked older than she, she was. She did look older. But did you know, do you know how tall she was? No. She was only four feet and 11.5 You're kidding. Inches. Yes. Because she wasn't even five I guess it's tall. because she is so much bigger than an average 10-year-old. Right, right. Because she's not 10 in Wizard of Oz. I right. always imagined she was bigger than that. Yeah. It's the same thing with Marilyn Monroe. Apparently, right. Marilyn Monroe was mm -hmm. really small. Very small and very short. Yeah, but she wasn't even five feet. She was just wow. shy of five feet. Um, And that's sort of where that girl next door mm -hmm. persona hit her. Because she wasn't your typical glamorous right gorgeous Deanna Durbin, uh, Ginger Rogers, all that mm -hmm. kind of beauty that she was sort of surrounded with at the time. Because mm -hmm. th those other actresses were highly becoming popular at that right. particular time when she was, you know, that young. Yeah, and um, the disease of Hollywood is yes. if one person becomes popular, mm -hmm. I guess everyone should look like that should person because like they'll that be person. popular too. Right, right. Which ironically, in a turn, Marilyn Monroe right. struggled with that same thing when she became, you know, years later. Um, but yeah, it was very funny. They said, um, the, and they directed her uh, in a number of films and it said Judy was the big money maker at the time a great success but she was the ugly duckling Ugh. yeah which makes me just so sad um, and, and a lot of people said that the comments that she received about her appearance about her looks were some of the most damaging things mm -hmm. on her at that young age that then developed as she grew older that she sort of just never it's never always so sad to that. see yeah. that because I think you're doing a service to someone if you're preparing them for the business, if that's what they want to do. I've known right. people who were really hard on people because mm -hmm. they thought, if you want to get into the business, you need to have a thick skin. Mm -hmm. And this is what you're going to hear mm -hmm. over and over and over again. But what about a paradigm shift? Right. There's always someone like a Judy Garland, mm -hmm. like a Lucille Ball, yeah. who comes out and gets immensely popular or famous and then is looked at as a sex symbol. 
and I think it's better today, but there's still a lot of improving that can be done right. because you just feel like just because you think there's a type, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that other people. I mean, how many times have you seen the next big thing or the next big model or mm-hmm. whatever? And you go, well, that's not even what guys find attractive. Right. Like you have no, you're, you're, you're skinny as a pole. Right. You look emaciated. Yeah. And they think they're trying to shove that down to the throat of people yeah. and saying, this is what you want. Why not yeah. just take a chance and go, this isn't traditional, but maybe this is what you this want is, without yeah, having yeah. to tear someone down. Which obviously was what they wanted. Right. Uh, but it, because Judy was more rounded, I guess mm-hmm. all the a lot of the other girls had really sharp features mm-hmm. and they were just taller and thinner. Um, even Louis B. Mayer uh, called her the little hunchback Ugh. because she was just rounded and that's just sort of how she was so, you know, so small. Um, but yeah, they sort of, uh, in, in her early years, they photographed her and dressed her in like juvenile type dresses mm-hmm. with a lot of lace and frills and things like that, just to sort of match that persona that mm-hmm. they had created for her at the time. Um, so it was interesting. We'll jump a little bit ahead of Wizard of Oz and come back to it. When she finally was 21, that's when she was on the set of Meet Me in St. Louis. So she was mm-hmm. filming uh, that role when she was 21. She met um, Dottie, uh, I guess it's Ponadel. I'm not sure. Uh, I want to say the name wrong. But uh, she was a makeup artist who worked at okay. MGM. And at the time, uh, she said that, so, Will, I've got to back up a little. During Wizard of Oz, they made her wear discs in her nostrils. Um, so and they weird. made her wear, yeah, they made her wear, uh, like, teeth like a brace or a retainer something like that for her mouth and all this other stuff just to make her look the specific way that they uh-huh. wanted her to and then that stuck and a couple things she did after the wizard of oz they made her continue to wear those oh, she had to keep wearing because it? it defined how she looked in that movie so they had to have her look the same in the other movies so by the time um that Dottie came along she said that the caps and the discs that she'd been using were not needed and that she was a pretty girl and mm-hmm. she was one of the first people to ever tell garland that she was pretty she went forward with being garland's makeup artist from that time on um because garland was so happy that she mm-hmm. appreciated her just for the way she looked it's you know? it's a running it's a running thing through when we have episodes about female celebrity we talked yeah. about the same thing with janice joplin mm-hmm. the janice mm-hmm. joplin was not a traditional sexy woman mm-hmm. in comparison mm-hmm. to what was considered sexy at the time been yeah. told her whole life that she was the ugly duckling. Yeah. But then she got on stage and just exuded this oh, sexuality. Yeah. And it's just like. And that voice is and just, the voice again, another And just everything yeah. about her. But that's what drove her. Right. And and when she finally started getting that positive feedback mm-hmm, from people, mm-hmm. that almost is kind of what led to her demise in a right. way. Because she, she just realized like, oh, I haven't gotten this sort of love and attention from right. people generally. And I can only imagine that's got to fuck you up. Yeah. But did you know that Judy was not the first choice to play Dorothy? I did not. Yeah. Do you know who was? No. Very popular at the time, Shirley Temple. Oh, mm-hmm. that would make perfect who sense. Who was even younger, yeah. ironically, than Judy Garland was. Yeah. But because Dorothy's character was supposed to be more like a 10, mm-hmm. 10 to 12 year yeah. old, um, they were looking for uh, someone younger and someone much more popular at the time, right. which Shirley Temple was. So did Shirley Temple reject the role? I, If I remember correctly, yes. Um, I think she was working on maybe Little Miss Sunshine or okay. something at the time. Uh, and so they uh, went ahead and went with someone else. But they went again to Deanna Durbin. She oh, was so also Judy busy. wasn't even right. the second Judy choice. Judy wasn't even the second choice. Yeah, which I didn't know. I knew no, I, I knew Shirley Temple was the first choice, but I didn't realize that she was the th- ended up being the third choice for that yeah. role. Um, but when she sang over the rainbow for them, it yeah. sealed the deal. Well, um, and we talked about this a little bit off mic. 
And I'd always heard the stories of what that shoot was like for mm-hmm, her. Mm-hmm. Um, give me some details of how rough that was for yeah. her. Hey guys, this is Evan. Hey, Jason Underwood. And if you're enjoying listening to The Lucky 10,000, then come on over to a podcast where nobody's ever getting lucky, ever. Here on The Lucky 10,000, you're here to learn, but with the bearded ones, we're here to make you laugh. And and maybe you'll learn something while you're laughing. Yeah, learn something like about Batman. <laughs> I mean, for we were on a stint of Matlock for a while. I, it was funny to me. Not the, hey, I mean, I enjoyed it. Eh? <laughs> yeah, that's not how you sell it. Come anything. on over, listen to the one podcast, I guess. I yeah, mean, I, I like it. I'd be a shit salesman. <laughs> um, Come buy this car. I mean, I drove it once. You, yeah, probably, you probably wouldn't like yeah, it. Yeah, you don't want to. <laughs> you don't yeah, want yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know what? Fuck this. Don't listen to Bearded Ones. <laughs> Come on, check us out. Bearded Ones Comedy Podcast on the Bearded Pods Network. I knew that. I didn't know that. Well, that's why we're here, listening to the Lucky 10,000. You learn something new with every episode. And while you're here at the Bearded Pods Network, you might want to come and give us some pod love. We're Teddy and the Bassman. We cover all sorts of subjects, speak with tons of interesting guests, and entertain you with a melange of vintage commercials and jingles, and a whole plethora of eclectic music. You might even learn something from us as well. It'll probably be about bondage, but... Teddy and the Baseman! Well, so, to begin with, the um, classic song, Over the Rainbow, almost got cut from the film. They which, actually which took is, it out. Which is ridiculous. Yeah, now. But at the time, it was because it was making the movie too long. Oh. And they thought it was silly to have a girl, a farm girl, singing in... On a bale of hay, you know, they thought it seemed kind of ridiculous. What else are you going to sing on in a farm? Well, that's true. (laughs) But yeah, they uh, said they it was too long and they were going to cut it and whatever. Um, And thankfully, they had I forget if they left it in for a premiere or they left it in for some sort of screening and they fell in love with it and it became the icon. Although the silver lining of that, had they done it, it would have been a tragedy. But the silver lining is. You wouldn't have to hear it so many times at auditions. That is very true. People do tend to gravitate toward that number. And there's de- several different versions of it. Um, mm-hmm. Joni Mitchell has a gorgeous version that I I've love. i never heard hers. That I sang. Um, I did forget to mention that I traveled on a cruise ship for a yeah. year as a performer. Um, and I did uh, uh, Joni Mitchell's version awesome. of Over the Rainbow, which is beautiful. And then I did Judy's version as well. Um, the Man That Got Away is another song that she made highly popular. Okay. Um, and that's a beautiful, beautiful number. Um, and I did that one on the ship as well, which was really cool. But anyway, I digress. Uh, back to the Wizard of Oz. So the Munchkins were her first hurdle mm-hmm. um, because there were so many of them. I mean, they had several hundred uh, mm-hmm. actual midgets that they hired for the film and they were all years older, you mm-hmm. know, than her, but of course, even smaller. Um, and they were, some of them were very handsy. Some of yeah. them were very inappropriate and rude um and uh she really had a hard time with them they were constantly sort of always at her and Mm -hmm. apparently sort of even just like pawing at her and wanting to touch her and be with her constantly and let's be clear i'm sure not all of them i'm sure all of them nice munchkins right but several of them really were just that old especially since they were older a lot of them probably came from that old school like i'm a guy and you're a dame and i get to do whatever i want whatever i want (laughs) yeah yeah so she struggled with that um and then of course she struggled with them constantly being at her about her appearance Mm -hmm. every time she went to eat uh they would literally take food just away from her before she even oh got God. to eat it because they would tell her that it was going to make her fat yeah. or whatever. She was in a, a corset to make her waist smaller mm-hmm. because she was just such a round And you can kind of tell when you watch yeah. the movie that uh, uh, her wardrobe she looks uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, yeah. And then of course don't forget she had the discs in her nose. Right. She had the, the retainers in they her mouth. They strapped her breasts down. Yes, they strapped her everything. Everything. It was just she was not even her own person. Right. Um, thankfully they did originally 
uh, slate her in a blonde wig, like a really long blonde wig, which just washed her out. Mm-hmm. So thankfully, they did eventually go with that beautiful, like Auburn yeah, I can't color. imagine her blonde. Oh yeah, we couldn't imagine Dorothy being blonde. Yeah, or and just that Judy color. Garland. Yeah, Judy Garland. Right, right. Yeah, because she was never blonde. She always yeah. had that real rich, uh, darker hair. But um, yeah, she was just put through the ringer. Uh, physically which is what she looked like and also everyone has the idea of the four main cast members mm-hmm. of that movie being mm-hmm. this tight unit they had great yes. on-screen chemistry and it was only within the past couple of years i heard that those guys were assholes yeah to her. they were real rude yeah and they apparently wouldn't even like they wouldn't sit with her they wouldn't talk to her they made her go to her trailer uh by herself and they wouldn't spend any time with her of course they were all great about complaining how uncomfortable they were because mm-hmm. and which they were you have to hand sure. it to them those costumes were a lot sure um i think they wanted i think they said that the lion's costume was 90 pounds just the costume Ugh. let alone all the makeup and, and everything dancing yeah. and, and they yeah. only were able to drink through straws because they could only drink yeah you know and the witch's makeup and all that was but just what was their beef with her you know i don't really know i think it's just because she was younger yeah. And she was new. Probably, and, they probably wouldn't have acted that way towards her. She was Shirley Temple. Right. If she'd been Shirley Temple. Exactly. Yeah. But I think it was just that she was sort of new and up and coming. She'd been in only a couple things up to that time. That really was her big break. That so they were kind of being thing. elitists about it. Very much like, so. And they were punk? all very well known. I mean, Margaret yeah. Hamilton, Billy Burke. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Margaret Ryan was even Boulder, mean to her? Yeah. Uh, she apparently just was very aloof. Now, she's oh. a very nice lady from what I hear. Mm-hmm. And which is funny because she always plays those kind of oh, crony yeah, yeah. characters. Um, and it was, well, there's a, a funny thing when she got the phone call about being the witch in the Wizard of Oz um, the director called her and said hey I'd love for you to be in the Wizard of Oz I've got a part for you and she goes oh that sounds so great which part and he goes well the witch and she said the witch and he said well yeah what else <laughs> <laughs> so she was very much typecast apparently she was a very nice lady but because yeah. she had all that heavy makeup oh yeah because at the time they had the aluminum remember right. Buddy Epson died from yeah. that he was the original Tin Man and he yeah. uh, lost out because uh, the makeup was just too mm-hmm. much for him he couldn't handle it um, so everyone was uncomfortable and that everyone could explain was massively the sort uncomfortable of, yeah. and sort of just but did she have any themselves. friends on the set did she have anybody that came to bat for her I think they were a couple like she apparently from what I've read she was so kind like she brought mm-hmm. candy and she would bring treats and things for the munchkins and everybody so she was a genuinely just a kind mm-hmm. human being um, but I think she sort of was very much a loner she spent a lot of time with um, Terry the, mm-hmm. the terrier who played uh, Toto in right. the movie um, and she was really good friends so much so that she bought uh, Toto from them I didn't and know became that. her dog yeah um, so she fell in love so much with the dog God how then, weird would that be to be a kid when the yeah. Wizard of Oz comes out and then you see Judy Garland walking down the street with Toto. With Toto. Yep. Yep. That That's funny. I had never thought about that, but that's true. <laughs> but yeah, I think she just sort of was a loner for the most part. Yeah. Um, even at one point in uh, one of, I love all the like history behind the scenes kind of things that happen, especially with that movie. There's one scene um, in the forest when they first meet the lion and the lion is chasing them around that tree mm-hmm. and he's trying to get Toto and she slaps him on the nose. Mm-hmm. Well, because he bursts into that hysterical of crying judy garland got the giggles and she thought that was the funniest thing and she kept laughing and laughing and they did it over and over again because she couldn't stop laughing every time he started to cry so finally the director slapped her across the face essentially told her to get her shit together and sent her back to her trailer and said she couldn't come out till she was that's what we call kubricking Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, (laughs) that's right 
But even when you watch the movie, if you watch that scene, as soon as she slaps him and she kind of yells at him about, you know, pick on someone your own size mm-hmm. or whatever, you can see the the smile at the corner of her mouth and you can see she's just trying so I love hard it to when that kind of together. stuff gets yeah. through. There's a great speaking of Kubrick, there's a great bit in uh Doctor Strange Love yes. where it's supposed to be this really serious moment, but Peter Sellers well, not serious, but everyone's supposed to be pretending like it's a serious mm-hmm. moment and Peter mm-hmm. Sellers is doing the arm stuff and yeah. the big angry Russian behind him on camera just cracks up. Just cracks up. Yeah, yeah. I love that kind of stuff. So The Wizard of Oz comes out Mm-hmm. I think we think of it as a massive box office success, yeah. but at the time, it really wasn't it that big wasn't. of a deal. It took a long time. Uh, I want to say it was like $2.2 million was the cost of the movie. It finally grossed $6 million, but I think they said it took three years. Like, it wow. took a while for it to finally recoup its yeah. original cost and but then exceed that. she goes on to become a big mm-hmm. movie star yeah. after that. Meet Me in when, St. Louis, several others, yeah. When did she retire? When did she quit Well. Acting? So sort of in the middle of all that, in the middle of all of her um, movies and things, um, she switched to doing more concerts and things mm-hmm. because music had always been the love of her life. Right. She could dance. She could act. She was definitely what we, you would consider to be a triple threat, you know, singer, actor, dancer, things like that. But she really was just in love with music. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, which is ironically, she was um, the first woman to ever win a Grammy Award for Album of the Year. That's awesome. Uh-huh. And it was, what was for the name of the album? Live record- it was for the live recording, Judy at Carnegie Hall. Okay. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. year was that? Uh, 1961. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of a good, you know, because uh, Wizard of Oz was 1939. Right. Uh, so that was a good another, you know, not quite 30 years not later. Not quite, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of uh, – just a lot of things that she really – worked hard on and she got to the point where she you know she brought Dottie along with her as Mm -hmm. uh, her makeup artist and she sort of started putting people in her life that were more or less more or less Mm -hmm. on her side yeah and once she found someone who was good to her she was good to them yeah there was that there's that disease of fame and I think that can be a positive and a negative because you don't want to surround yourself with yes people you want somebody that's going to be honest Mm -hmm. but also if you spent your life being told you're a piece of shit why would you want to continue hanging around people that that just kept telling you that yeah and uh, as a result, um, this is something that I didn't know either till I started really kind of uh, doing some more uh, in-depth research about her. She was married five times. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So she married David Rose um, in 1941, and they were okay. divorced by 1944. Uh, so Vincent Minnelli, of course, is the big one that everyone remembers because of Meet Me in St. Louis. Okay, yeah. Um, and uh, so they were married in 1945, only a year later from that, and they were divorced by uh, 1951. But of course, Vincent and Judy gave us Liza. Mm-hmm. So that's where, um, uh, of course, the, the history of Liza comes from that family. She married Sidney Luft in 1952, um, and they were divorced by 1965. Like, none of these marriages lasted no. more than well, four years. Was it that she was going for the wrong type of guy, or was she the problem? I know she had her yeah, issues with alcohol her issues. and drugs. It was just and... all insecurity and self, yeah. you know, self-deprecation and, and feeling like she wasn't worthy and she wasn't That's a scary enough. thing, because yeah. what usually happens, and I'm... A pretty self-deprecating, insecure person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as most that makes you gravitate towards sometimes the wrong people, mm-hmm. who then just sort of add to your own cycle of hating yourself. Right. And I'm not saying I've necessarily done that. Mm-hmm. I've actually been pretty lucky in most of the people I've had relationships with. But there is still that disease where mm-hmm. 
you go to the person you think you would go to the person who lifts you up, but instead mm-hmm. you go to the person that sort of confirms, confirms all of your worst all thoughts of your about worst yourself. Fears. Yeah, and that was the the deal with a lot of these because of course Vincent was a huge movie producer yeah. director, you know. But a lot of these were producers or directors or photographers, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, she divorced Sidney Luft in 1965, was married to Mark Herron uh, in 1965 until 1969, and then Mickey Deans was her last one, uh, and she was married until her death. Uh, he found her dead on the bathroom floor when when that, yeah, that was an overdose that right? was a little bit of an overdose yeah now they marked it an accidental death mm-hmm. but they said that um they would uh so it was interesting during uh the filming of the wizard of oz and uh during different several different films especially as a young child they started putting them on opiates to right. keep them awake during uh. show times and during filming times so they could film longer hours and then they gave them um i forget the name of the drug now but whatever it was they gave it to them so they would go to sleep right. at night um and then so it was just a constant cycle so someone mentioned that from an early age she had all that in her system um and for a while there in between marriages um she spent a little while where she was able to do some self-recovery um, and she worked, uh, I think it was with orphans for a while and sort of just like helping them and giving them yeah. home and love and things like that. And that was sort of one of the best times in her life. Right. It was like a, almost like a three or four year period where she did really, really well. Mm-hmm. She wasn't performing. She was just sort of self-caring at the time. But then when she got back into film and and recording and things mm-hmm. like that, she started taking the drugs and things yeah, again. And that's, that's just so sad because I think that's put her one right of back the, where she'd come from. You know, this one of the yeah. things that you look at Hollywood and you go, yeah, Hollywood always tries to portray itself as this very well. I mean, not necessarily back then being a liberal town. It actually, used to be a really conservative town, mm-hmm. but. uh Especially when you hear stories about like what Drew Barrymore went through when she was oh, a kid, yeah. and people just let her drink mm-hmm. and let her use drugs at like ten years old. She's going yeah. to fucking clubs and stuff, and no one in in this liberal bastion of all these people who talk publicly about how they love people and they have all this empathy. Mm-hmm. No one stepped in and said, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, what? Why? She's a 10-year-old She's girl. She's a 10-year-old kid. And yeah. so many people have gone down that path mm-hmm. where if one mm-hmm. person had just cared enough to say, fucking stop. Stop, yeah. Like, do a train spotting, put them in a room, lock right. the door, get it out of their system, and then show them that someone really cares about them as a person instead of them as a commodity. Right. And even her children mentioned that because she, and I didn't know realize she had two other children with Sydney Luft. So she had Lorna and Joey both. Um, okay. And I didn't realize. Obviously I think she, not I thought she'd people. only Right. I thought she'd only had Liza Minnelli because, of course, Liza went into the business right. following her mother. But all three of her children did mention at one point um, that it was just a cycle for her. Mm-hmm. And um, some of her later movies, she got fired from several movie sets, which I did not know because she sort of just stopped showing up. Mm-hmm. She was, you know, irritable and mm-hmm. sort of grumpy. And it was all due to the fact that her body just could never right. recover from that cycle that she was in, you know. But because they did so much um, when she was little with all of the, you know, staying awake and going to sleep, um, it was uh, the barbiturates. That's what it was. They uh, gave them barbiturates before bed yeah. so they could go to sleep. It was an amphetamine to keep them awake and a barbiturate to go to sleep. Um, but the um, – the dieting, I think, was another thing because yeah. she only ate certain things and they would only allow her to eat right. certain things. It was like her immune system. Her body wasn't even strong enough right. to handle all of the drugs that were going into her system. In addition to the fact that she was awake all hours of the day, barely allowed to sleep certain hours at night. Yes. And it's like that damaging amount of... of uh, overstimulus as a child and a teenager into her early 20s was what sort of just set her body up 
for failure, uh, you so know, sad. by the time she was, yeah, yeah, by the time she was um, old enough to so what year, try to even help herself out. What year you know? did she pass? Um, She passed away in, let me remember here, uh, 69. That's oh, right, okay. yeah, because sorry, we, yeah, we just talked about that a minute ago. Uh, Mickey Dean, so he found her, yeah, on the bathroom floor, um, and she had overdosed. But the interesting thing was when they did the autopsy, because they were looking to see if it was suicide, the mm-hmm. reason it was labeled an accidental death was because there was enough in her system to look like it had been put there over time, but there wasn't right. enough to look like it had been initial. initial once, like yeah. she just took a bunch of pills to. to well, it's so sad, and that's gone. the other yeah. thing is is, yeah. is all these great artists. You know, the, there's a litany of stories about mm-hmm. really great contributors to entertainment or just the arts in general who already had rough lives, and that's why they became artists. Hopefully, it's their saving grace. Right, and then so much crap comes along with mm-hmm. just the business of it. Right, that it kind of you know it's that. It's that seesaw of living your dream, getting what to, to do what you love, but then it gets turned into this business where you're not looked at as a human being anymore. Right. You're not treated as a human being anymore. That's why I don't think I could ever be famous. I just couldn't handle it. Yeah, that's I've wondered that myself. Um, and the only thing too, like, because I have a tendency where really singing is kind of my passion, mm-hmm. and I do like musical theater, but I'm not a dancer. Mm-hmm. So no, I'm neither. much better now. I'm a much better mover. And if I have someone to sort of take time to train me, yeah, um, then I can do it. I absolutely mm-hmm. can. I've just never had the training growing up, and unfortunately, my body uh just doesn't process the movement <laughs> now that I'm older uh, than it would have when I was a kid. But because uh, like Judy Garland just really loved singing. Um, I mean, she ended up having her own show. Uh, she uh, performed at Carnegie Hall. Yeah. The uh, two-record album, uh, Judy at Carnegie Hall, ended up being certified gold. Nice. And it was uh, charted for 95 weeks on Billboard, including 13 weeks at number one. And then it won four Grammy Awards, which I didn't realize that. I didn't know that um, it, Which were including Album of the Year and Best Female Vocal of the nice. Year, which I thought was really, really neat. Um, and then, yeah, she and CBS uh, settled into a contract, and they did the Judy Garland show, uh, which aired on... Uh, February 25th of 1962. So she had just a couple years there. A variety show. A variety show. Mm -hmm. And she had a bunch of guests, you know, Frank Sinatra, Mm -hmm. Dean Martin, all of them. Um, And uh, I think even... Barbara Streisand, I think she mm-hmm. had, and Bette Midler and some of those uh, she had uh, on the show as well. Um, and um, I think she, even she and Julie Andrews did uh, that would be amazing. On the, I think there's a duet of the two of them. I That's like your musical is, wet but, dream, isn't it? Yes. Judy oh, yeah. Judy yeah, Judy Garland, Julie Andrews. Andrews. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was really, um, it was really incredible. But she uh, ended up being several thousand dollars in debt due to the IRS. She had back taxes she didn't pay, all kinds of stuff. Um, and then um, A Star Is Born was another one of her big mm-hmm. uh, movies that she was nominated for. Um, and it was interesting because they so thought that she was going to win the award mm-hmm. uh, for that. And they brought um, – she was in the hospital at the time because she just had Joey. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she ended up not winning. Um, and uh, I forget the name of the lady who won, but it was for a different movie, a mm-hmm. different time. Um, and they said before the lady even got to the stage, the crew had already packed up and was leaving oh, because wow. she didn't win. Yeah. Um, Did she ever so win an really Oscar? Interesting. Um, no, she never won an Oscar, oh. but she has uh, – she had the Grammy Award. She have, um, did she ever win any Tonys? Uh, yes. She has a Tony Award. She got a Tony Award uh, – I'm trying to remember what it was for. 
before. She has a Golden Globe, a Juvenile Academy Award, okay. a Special Tony Award, and then the Grammy Award for Album of the Year. Well, um, then. Who I needs think a fucking it was Oscar? The, right, yeah. Who needs the Oscar, right? And it was the Oscar that she lost because the Oscar yeah. she had gotten for nominated for Stars Born, and then that's the one that she lost. Um, I'm trying to remember what – I think it was posthumously they gave her the Tony Award. Okay. Um, and she was also the first recipient of the Cecil B. DeMille? Uh, DeMille, yes. Yeah. Thank you. Award uh, for musical theater, which I thought was really, really Very neat. cool. Yeah. So lots of things that like just just very um, sort of rare history yeah. that you don't know. Well, and that's and, like, the thing. things that I nobody think... really And then we should probably start to, to, to wrap this up. But that's yeah. the thing that, you know, people like her that have that passion and that have that drive, not just to do it, but to be known for it. Mm-hmm. The silver mm-hmm. lining to someone like her having those rough patches and right. passing and maybe not the most graceful way mm-hmm, is that mm-hmm. those are just footnotes. What you yeah. really remember is everything she contributed right. and that she's this big legend that influenced so many right. people. If right. you could boil down, like, let's say I've never heard of Judy Garland mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I come to you and say, who's this Judy Garland? Give me your must listen, like five Judy Garland songs. Five Judy. Well, uh, man that got away okay. is, you know, incredible for sure. And of course, somewhere over the rainbow. I mean, mm-hmm. what a classic, yeah. you know, you have to include it. Um, but, uh, I think really I've mentioned some of the ones that she did like, um, zing, zing, mm-hmm. uh, went the strings of my heart. Um, and that trolley song is mm-hmm. just one of the best, uh, numbers, um, especially for meet me in St. Louis. I mean, she mm-hmm. made those so iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, the meet me in St. Louis, uh, album that, that recorded, Recording, just her singing those uh, every every number on there is yeah. just really 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 beautiful. So that would be your go to introductory yeah, Judy Garland. Just go get I me, me say, in St. Louis. Yeah, yeah, get me me in St. Louis and get the Wizard of Oz. I would say for sure. Listen to Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Um, and as far as Judy goes, you can really sort of forget the rest of the album. But yeah. you just need to hear Somewhere Over the Rainbow first. That's yeah. sort of your signature. And then Meet Me in St. Louis was really uh, my favorite, just of mm-hmm. her work. Um, and then The Man That Got Away is gorgeous. Mm. Um, just her singing that. Um, and, um, I'm trying to think, um, I can see her in my head singing and dancing around, uh, swinging on the columns in the, uh, theater. And I'm trying to remember the name of the song that she sings, uh, during that, but it's really great. Of course, I'll remember it later. We can probably put it in the cliff notes or something Absolutely. like that. But there's a one, one other number. I can't think of the name of it right now, but it's kind of just one of those big hurrah, here I am kind of numbers. Yeah. Um, and it sort of encapsulates everything that Judy was as a performer mm-hmm. and just the way that everything she did came from just somewhere inside that tiny human. Um, and I think that's what's so hard. That makes me the most sad, similar to Marilyn Monroe, which is what makes me so sad about both of their lives. Cause Marilyn Monroe followed very similarly in the mm-hmm. steps of Judy Garland, um, in, in her time, the fact that she relied so heavily on that praise from those audiences mm-hmm. and that, uh, I know, I think we were talking about it before the podcast. I'm not sure if we start, if we've, if I've already said it, I apologize if I'm repeating it, but the fact that she, needed to hear mm-hmm. them say that they loved her mm-hmm. because no one else really and what's rough about that team. and you yeah. and i have both experienced this to a certain degree obviously not to judy garland's yeah but the, if that's what you're relying on you're always going to be disappointed mm-hmm. even when you're getting it because mm-hmm. at some point the theater goes empty and the right. theater goes quiet the lights go and out that's, that and sound is dead mm-hmm. the people that loved what you did are mm-hmm. gone and if you don't have somebody in your life they can do that for you. Mm-hmm. It becomes a really hollow. It, it is like a drug. Right. Right. And unfortunately, you know, for all her amazing talent, mm-hmm. and yeah. this is just such a um, a cliche, but it, right. it it didn't help her not be this this 
fragile, fragile, fragile human. person, yeah. which is and really which sad. Which is so hard because she appeared in more than 35 films. Yeah. She has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. She had people like Mickey Rooney adored her. But you when know, you need so that people. sort of validation, it's right. never enough. And she really did. She needed it constantly, which is why she performed as much as she did. Yeah. And I think she loved music, uh, like really and truly, genuinely, that was where she felt most at home, she said, mm-hmm. was when she was just singing. And yeah, in her. a weird way. We were talking Favorite. about this before yeah. the podcast, and, and I'll say this, and then we'll finish up, but uh, it reminds me, did you remember that movie Soap Dish? Yeah. With Sally Field Sally and Fields. Whoopi Goldberg, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, and you know, Sally mm-hmm. Field is sort of the over-the-hill soap opera actress, mm-hmm. and whenever she was feeling down about herself, there's a really fun scene in it where she and Whoopi Goldberg would go to the mall, and Whoopi Goldberg would pretend not to know her, and then recognize her and freak oh out. Goodness, so so everybody in the mall knew who she was, was and then yeah. she would get swamped with people. All these people, And it's yeah. like... That's so fun, but it's yeah, so true. So true. That like you just yeah. want strangers to strangers tell you, to how, tell wonderful you how wonderful you are. You are. <laughs> yeah. Which is interesting because um, even Gene Lyons uh, in one of the Entertainment Weekly's um, issues back then um, called Garland the Madonna of her generation. Yeah. And the American Film Institute named her the eighth among the greatest female stars of uh, the golden age in Hollywood. Cinema. It's just so sad that so, she's not yeah. alive to see that. Yeah. You know, that she can say, you know what? I did... Make a mark that people right. still remember. Right. And, and they said so many good things like the even um, New York Times said Garland was a personality on the grand scale who makes our current crop of pop stars look lightweight and evanescent. Oh, well, that's a perfect Isn't way to end. Isn't that a great way to end? Uh, yeah. yeah. So, well, Deanna, thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. Thank you for notice. having me, man. This if is people, so much fun. If uh, people want to get in contact with you, how could they do that? Um, I am on uh, both Facebook and Instagram. Um, I do teach uh, some voice lessons yeah. locally. Um, I am actually a restaurant manager right now, so that sort of takes up most of my time sure. <laughs> during the day. Uh, but when I have time, I'm able to do voice lessons. Um, and I have, you know, I've auditioned for a couple things next year, so we'll see if any of those things work out um i would love to get back on stage again because i yeah, do really should. miss it it's been a been a little while for me yeah. which would be great to get back but and it's d-e-a-n-n-a mm-hmm. no, uh, no one and yep diana d-e capital a-n-a earl e-a-r-l yep all um right. and i uh yeah singer actress storyteller and uh and all around lovely judy person. judy the garden is my spirit animal so i'm glad <laughs> we were able to talk about her today i am too and yeah. i learned a ton Good. Ton of awesome. Stuff I, I did too, even just brushing up on my history. Yeah. And I hope you yeah. out there learn the same. Um, this is the last episode we're recording. So hopefully you'll hear this episode soon. Obviously, Deanna will will uh, uh, tag you when we post it publicly. But um, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for doing it. This has been an awesome season. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. And uh, if you give us a five star review on Stitcher, iTunes will read it on the air. Uh, if you enjoy this podcast, do what I always tell you to do in the bearded ones. Tell people about us. Nothing helps a podcast like word of mouth. For now, I hope you've enjoyed this show. I hope you've enjoyed this season. And I hope you got lucky tonight. Break a fucking Thank you for being part of the Lucky 10,000 with your host, Evan. Email us at lucky10,000 at gmail.com. Find Lucky 10,000 on Twitter at lucky underscore 10k. And visit our podcast network site at beardedpodsnetwork.com. Searching for we
Another day, 